Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Store Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 21. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hi. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So I don't have any announcements this week. Is there anything that you guys um, have that might be interesting that you want to talk about? Uh, not my side. Nope. Uh, put me on the spot. Um... <laughs> oh, we, can, we can get to it later in the show. I just thought there might be something of okay. interest that we want to start with. But no. um, nothing stupendously. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, then in, that, then in that case, then before we get into the actual topic for tonight, let's do a bit of a rundown of what we all worked on this week. So, Joey, as per usual, that's your cue. Okay. Well, this will run into the topic i think quite nicely so okay i finished my table some of you may have seen the video the extension table i did from oak and cherry um and what I table was it was sure super duper happy with it um i i thought it was interesting actually we're going to talk later a little bit about failure and um i thought this is like the complete opposite for me so i thought that was a nice um win i think as long as they pay me money's due tomorrow so hopefully that comes through <laughs> uh, <laughs> otherwise it's um, just all a stuff up <laughs> yeah otherwise i'll be chasing money and then you know that's not fun um so that was a, a p- pretty big win for the start of the week um so the bad side for me that was a first for the first time ever of com- work has just stopped there's nothing for me to do at the moment right. um and that's not necessarily through any fault of my own, but I actually have uh, a good five jobs that are meant to be, I could start any one of these jobs. Mm. None of those people, for whatever reason, have decided to pay their deposit invoices. Mm. So two of them actually are booked in, meant to be starting this week, and there's no money sitting in the account. Emails are flying. I think things are happening. I'm, I'm trying to get the ball rolling. Um, and so I think I mentioned it briefly at the start of last week's episode that things were a bit quiet and and things were starting to appear like, you know, oh, if, if this money doesn't come in, there's not going to be anything to do. And well, it turned mm. out that the money didn't come in and um, things just stopped. <laughs> so um, it gave me, so we did it. So that, that can be pretty stressful when you're by yourself. It's a bit, more stressful (laughs) i have an employee who works uh half days for me so i'm so we've done a huge amount of cleaning up and just organizing the shop doing a whole lot of things which are going to help for for working when work comes in again Mm. um but i've personally been just on the computer i've just been quoting like you wouldn't believe trying to get get someone to say yes just do do a job and everyone at the moment is just like oh yeah can we just hold off for three weeks or uh, two weeks before we get onto that job um <clears throat> so that's just been really frustrating so 
finally after all of that this afternoon i think about three jobs said yeah let's go ahead so hopefully next monday i'll be banging into some work but um at the moment it's been a little bit stressful trying to make things happen without getting into too much detail when you said the work's not coming in no part of your own um do you find that there's a lot of active looking for work on your part or or, or do you just sit back and word of mouth is now working enough? No, no, I definitely don't. I don't just sit back and expect work to come in at the same time. I don't do crazy amounts of um, active searching for work, but Mm. I, I, I seize opportunities, I suppose is the best way to describe it. Um, People walk in off the street, Oh, I've got a table that needs refinishing. I'm like, yeah, I can do it. Let's do it right now. Um, but you, but you're, not going out and, you're not going out and doing the hard sell, like, you know, no. doors, door to door. Yeah, okay. No, I, yeah. I, I do push a little bit. Like, certainly when work is a bit scarce and I'm in emailing a client, I will start following up with before they reply back to me like if it's been mm. a couple of days i'll say hey what's going on with this i've got an opening i could get onto your job pretty quickly if you want to push go on it mm. um and then that usually jogs some memories or or might spark something up they'll either say yes or no or um in this case everyone said oh let's just hold off a week <laughs> which doesn't help <laughs> so um, it's been really annoying mm. yeah also, before we move off, um, last week when we had Brian on the show, you were talking mm. about those runners on the table and how the, yes. the, the, I think it was the friction you were saying was just hardening yeah. up that, that timber. When it, you were talking about burnish it, yeah. burnishing, that's right, yeah. When you were talking about it at the time, I, I couldn't really like picture what it was, but I right. can totally understand now having seen the video. As that yeah. gets harder, that's just going to turn into the, you know, such an amazing mechanical joint. But yeah. while I was watching the video, I couldn't help but think, is that friction not going to slowly crush the fibers and it's going to become a bit loose? And because there's so that middle piece is solely reliant on the, the tightness of that join, mm. is that not going to become a bit um, sloppy over time? Um, I think. Yes, it probably will be sloppy over time. And say 80 years, it's probably going to be a little bit wonky. It'll be granddad's little wonky table a little mm. bit. Mm. Um, I think... But it wouldn't get that much use being extended, surely. It'd be for no, the odd occasion. Yeah. So I said to the clients, like, how often do you think you're going to ex- want to extend this table? Because that kind of depends on the type of extension, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah. Um and every client I've had that wants it is like, oh, only for Christmas time. So, okay, right. uh, you're looking at over the table's lifetime of 100 years, it might be used 100 times. Yeah, yeah. that's not, that's nothing. So with oak especially, I've not worried really at all. I don't think yeah, that that's going to cause much of a problem. I have done one before in cowrie, and it's, I think, too soft. Mm. And unfortunately, I've got another one to do from ripping an old table apart and turning it into a new table. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that as well because the, the carry is just so soft. Yeah. Mm. That, you can always just that do a, will have a problem. Do a, like a hardwood 
insert strip so you make the dovetail yeah. way oversize. You know how you find the dovetail ways on a jointed bed or on a on anything with a dovetail way. They always have that pressure mm. plate. Instead of a pressure yeah. plate, just make it a hardwood runner and then mm. it's not work. silly because really uh, the only part that needs to be say for the carry one is that our external rail when it's shut it needs yeah. to look like it's carry when it when it's open it doesn't matter if you see a piece of oak because no, exactly. you see the mechanical joint anyway so um that's interesting yeah. i might do that actually you could also then add it as a feature that the the runner is essentially then replaceable so if down the line yeah, almost, it does yeah. it does uh, loosen up you can put in you can replace the runner and it's get it tight yeah, again maybe a little bit tricky because it will be glued to the rail and the rails are glued into the legs and oh no obviously obviously you'd have to screw it into place but yeah <laughs> oh yeah well yeah 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 so yeah interesting idea mm. so a bit of an up down so week that, for joey yeah, Jordan. <laughs> uh, me i am yeah it's been a busy week actually so a lot of small jobs i did that a refinishing of a small cabinet thing which was kind of sacrilege because it's this really nice old thing that was destroyed by prior users painting it so i had to whitewash it just because it was so paint damaged on the bottom uh, i did some stuff for my neighbors so i've got a coffee roaster next door to my factory and on their roaster there's a viewing window where you pull out the beans and you kind of look into it and see how roasted your beans are and they're handled oh, cool. on fire and kind of roasted <laughs> yeah so uh i managed to pull out the old lathe and turn up a new handle for him and hope that my one doesn't catch on fire but i didn't charge him anything for it i just told him to give me free coffee for a, for a month and they were happy with that so that was my payment um but yeah my biggest project has been a couple of giant uh 3.2 meter wide or long even um wide would be really big but 3.2 meter long uh dining tables or i don't know tables anyway conference things and yeah these have been like it's a really simple design um and it's going pretty well but because it's 3.2 meters the capacities are just that much too big for most of my machines so i'm having to jerry rig carts and outriggers and um, you know, instead of just holding it up against the fence of my panel saw to cross cut it, I'm having to clamp it in place so the dolly that I've had to rig up as an outrigger doesn't drag it away. And just a lot of <laughs> annoying steps which are taking time and making me scratch my head. And uh, yeah, you know, just not frustrating, but certainly not enjoyable. Uh, I so find. On jobs Sorry. that big, you, I end up um, going back to hand tools a lot, like hand power tools, yeah, like skill saws to like cut things to length and stuff because nothing fits. I was so close to just taking the, the wobbly Makita track saw to cut the ends <laughs> and stuff, but I just I want the accuracy of the panel saw. But being alone with this sort of length, like these are three point two meter long by nine hundred mil wide tabletops and there's two of them. So I have no space left around the place anyway. So I'm having to stack them on top of each other when I'm storing it. Yeah. And you know, it's just me in here. So it's but for those of you sliding it over and 
for those of you who don't follow Jordan um, on Instagram, you put up a video. When was it? A couple of days ago, Jordan? Uh, yesterday, maybe. Uh, uh, where he's putting it through his gigantic drum sander, the tabletop, and then you just see the tabletop come out, come into frame on this dolly, and basically <laughs> having to do the the the, the milling. It's too big for the frame. <laughs> continually, you, you've got to keep it on the dolly basically all the time. Uh, it's too heavy to pick up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm able to slide it off the dolly and onto benches and that sort of stuff. But I did have a look at my dolly today because I thought, oh, that's got a bit of a lean on it after leaving it overnight. And I've noticed I only tack welded the uprights, not fully seen. So, yeah, I was lucky to get away with that. So I've rectified the <laughs> tack welds. I feel like there's been a lot going on this week, but it doesn't sound like a lot to report. And I think it's because it's just been a lot of head scratching and uh, hey, do those and Are those tables going to fit in your spray area? No. So, oh, that, that leads me <laughs> on to something. Um, these tables, the stock I had quoted for was 175 wide boards and 50 mil thick and, you know, way bigger than what I could actually get. So I had to end up getting 38 mil thick um, boards, which is fine because my original tabletop was 40. So it's only a two mil like difference in the end product. Uh, And also only a hundred mil wide, I couldn't get 175s or 150s. So there's been a lot more work involved than I had originally planned, but I did save a lot of money on the actual cost of stock. So with with that, Sorry, be more stable with the more stable with the thinner boards at least. Yeah, exactly, and because they are breadboard and it's all quarter sawn as well. I'm not, I'm not against using the thinner boards. It's just it's added instead of doing it in two glue ups per tabletop. I did it in three, and I didn't face joint anything before I glued up the tabletops. I only edge jointed because they were such straight boards anyway, and that meant I can flatten the top through the wide belt sander and then on the bottom if there's a few low spots well it doesn't matter it's on the bottom as long as the the edges are flat um but that brings me on to i'm not spraying these i'm using a new product which is that rubio monocoat which is crazy expensive i didn't realize how expensive it was when i (laughs) kind of was saying that i'll finish it in this oil but you know i got 1.3 liters of the clear, and I think it was 350 mil of the black because the base is getting black stain on the legs. Mm. And that cost $400. Sure. Even two liters of oil. So it's super expensive. But apparently you get 50 liters, uh, 50 meters of coverage per liter. So it should last me a while. 50 meter square square meters. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's been other stuff going on. I just can't remember. It's, it's just, yeah, stuff in and out. A lot of in and out jobs. So, yeah. What about you, Robin? We're going to get back to the, the tables shortly in the episode yeah. anyway. So, if you think of more, then um, we can get onto it. Um, so, for me, I've just been working um, on my bathroom renovation. It's been pretty slow going, a lot slower than I'd wanted it to, but that's only because everything I'm doing I've never done before. And um, it it seems like there's so many ways to attack something like this. So every time you go online, you hear one 
builder who knows how qualified he is. One builder saying it has to be done this way. And then another builder mm -hmm. says, no, it has to be done this way. And each one is equally the only way forward. Um, Joey, yeah. we've talked in the past about the when the tiling and the tub gets done. And yeah. through all of those conversations, I've got myself to a point now where I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm, I'm stuck because I can't move forward. And this was in relation to, to the waterproofing before the tiling goes on. And I was like, how do, you know, what do I do? And then you, you, you do a little bit of research and then you hear of some builders, they install the tub, then waterproof, then tile. Now, I remember you saying mm -hmm. the bathtub goes in last because that's your, your fixture and fixtures go in last. Pretty much, yeah. So it covers all the nasty edges. <laughs> yeah. So I think what it's come down to is, I think it's one of those things where you've got to read the situation. And mm. like in my case, I need to, I need to install the bath first, basically, because I'm, I'm creating a little shelf on the side of the bath that sort of hangs over the lip of the bath as if you were inserting the bath into a stud. You know, you create right. that notch. I'm building a shelf yeah. in that sort of manner. It's just a 90 mil shelf. So I need to have that built first. Well, I need to have the tub in, then build that over the tub. Then what? So, yeah, anyway, it's just been, it's one step forward and then about four hours of just standing in there going, hmm, what, what's, what's the best way to go forward here? Um, so, yeah, so I've got the sheets. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, I know that it's super not kosher to say, but at least uh, as far as I know, your work you're doing is not consented through your council. Is that correct? You don't have a building permit necessarily to do what you're doing. You don't have to, or I don't want to ask, do you have to, but I'm asking, I, well, you don't have one, right? right? <laughs> you do have to. I didn't know about that. Um, I wouldn't, I don't. So yeah, the bonus I don't know. is yeah. because the council are not coming to inspect it, it doesn't matter what the hell you do. It's your house. <laughs> yeah, no, and and, and that's and so. and I'm confident of my own ability, but at the same time, I also don't want to stick myself into a corner where even though it's my own own house, I can't move forward. I'm only gonna stuff things yeah, up. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, while that is the one nice thing, is it's it's not there's no one's real it's not like I'm spending money on the labor here. It's just I can take as long as I want. Um my biggest fear is that I'm is that up is that up uh, liquid nails something down to the floor and I'm like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm, <laughs> and now I'm stuffed. Tearing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like for example, today yeah. I was that little opening to do the plumbing for the bath. I did all the, the sheeting around the bath and I had that last panel, which I left to the end because I thought this is where I'm going to, you know, have the access panel for the plumber. And I cut yeah. it and I was like, oh, this looks great. And whack, whack, whack. And I just put in four nails into it. And I was like, oh, crap, now I've got to pull the thing off. Just just <laughs> momentary lapse. And and yeah. and that's what I say. That that's where that's why everything takes so long. So I've got all the sheeting down on the floor, those anchors, those nylon anchors, perfect. Spot on. Yeah, they work cool. really well. Um, I've got the sheeting on the bath and all of the tile area. And that's pretty much that's pretty much what I've done for an entire week. Um so, yes, yeah. Um, to, uh, on the weekend, the, the electrician is coming in to put in all the new electrics. Um, I'll probably be getting the bath in this weekend and then looking to start waterproofing next week. Right. Cool. 
yeah. Learning so, lots then. Yeah, slow, slowly but surely getting there. It's, yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this being done because this it's slowly starting to cool down here a little bit and the mm-hmm. outdoor sh- cold showers are becoming a bit much. <laughs> uh. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about some of the failures we've had in the past. So um, ideally we want to be talking about catastrophic failures, um, whether that's on a big or small scale, that's up to, that's up to the other two. Um, but yeah, it's, it, the idea is we want to talk about the, the, the failures that we've had, why it failed and what we've learned. So the idea is if you are um, listening to this and you're about to start a similar project, hopefully you can, you can learn from our mistakes. So I thought what I'd do is I'd start off with with one, and then we can go from there. the The one that this is this the, this project is what inspired me to pick this topic for the episode. I did a wooden bird bath when I was living back in Adelaide, and I made this wooden bird bath just out of bog standard pine. Um, I think some of the the bottom parts of the, the the bottom parts of the leg were treated, but only parts of it. And I dug a hole, and this basically got s- stuck in the ground with a plastic flower pot tray for the water. And yep. it was and yep. it was great. It worked well. Super cool project. Someone in the co- I've got this up on YouTube, so you can go in and search it up. Someone in the comments said, "What about termites?" And right. I remember. I remember at the time, I was just like, ah, oh, you know, like termite damage is so, it just seems so remote. You know, what are the chances? And um, I remember saying to this guy, and I need to go back and and, <laughs> and uh, follow up on the comment because I said to him, it's probably going to be fine. If this ever falls apart, I'll let you know. Um, and I never did. <laughs> it was about three months. And I woke up one morning, this thing was falling over in termites. Had got really? straight three months. I mean, they they wow. found this. Now, obviously, it was just the the juiciest, softest, easy to eat pine. Yeah, pine's delicious. So I imagine they came from far and wide at this just this bonanza. But I couldn't believe it took th- three months, and it was <laughs> destroyed. Wow, um, that's funny. Where I where I grew up, so I grew up in the Pilbara. I think if you had a, a length of pine and you left it outside for an hour, you'd already start seeing these little mounds forming around the, the yeah. ground. It's crazy how quick they come. The pine's good. I mean, it tastes good, smells good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so ever ever since then, I've like been so paranoid about termites. Are they everywhere in Australia? Essentially, is there any like? Places where usually you don't get termites, or um, I don't no, question know. Everywhere I've been has termites, so like huh. my experience, they're everywhere. But I haven't been everywhere, obviously, so not sure. Right. I know where I am here in Townsville. I'm quite close to the the um, what's called Castle Hill. It's like the main hill of the um, you know close to the the city, mm. and the building inspectors who've looked at this house have said. On that hill, it's just like the hill is like 50% termites. So if you're living yeah, in the area... It's essentially a giant mound. It's essentially a giant termite mound. So if you're living in the area, be super careful because they, they are here and they will go through your house. Um, they've actually... they the, the, the timber that I'm using on my 
um, on the framing that I've done upstairs, you know, your, your treated or your, your structural pine, you've either got the, the bare pine, which is untreated. You've then got that bluey greeny color mm -hmm. up here. They have a red, a red tint to it. And that's for a specific type of termite that you get up north, mostly up near Darwin, which is just like this, just like this termite on steroids that'll just tear <laughs> through that blue pine. So it must be a Texan, a Texan termite, according to the comments. According <laughs> yeah. to Jeff, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so they just yeah, they make like a special treatment up here because up in the north of Australia, it's even worse. So yeah, yeah. Geez. wow. Oh, but man, living in New Zealand, we just we have nothing that really does anything to anyone. So you guys have to think about European house borer over in. Oh uh, yeah, yes, yes. that's we probably worth. We do have borer, and really, the only thing it does is get into nice old bits of furniture. But yeah, um, in the older houses, in the old villas, which what we call them villas, uh, I think you would call them. Uh, uh, what do you call those? What do you what do you say? Townhouses. You know, you know the old yeah, Australian houses with the deck that goes all the way around. Oh, with the bullnose um, and all that. Um, Queenslander yeah, things. Like Queenslander. Yeah. Queenslander. yeah. So our 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 version would be a villa, which is pretty much the same time period. Ours is slightly more Victorian, more decoration. Um, but usually those old buildings are full of um, bore in the joists. Mm because they usually carry or remove and yeah. they like to get eaten. So. Hmm. Talking about that, um, there's a show called, ah, what is it? Ah, it's one of these home renovation shows, Grand Designs, and they've got oh, a Kiwi yeah. version. And oh, yeah. it's yep. a, this blue Victorian, well, it was a white Victorian house. They moved it up into the mountains and painted it blue. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever watched the show. Yeah, I have. I can't think of that one though. Oh man, it was it was it was what you're talking about—an old Victorian timber, right? Yeah, villa. Yeah, beautiful. Hmm. Anyway, so that was yeah, my, they're very nice buildings. Sorry, that that was my uh, discovery into termites and um, wow, yeah. yeah, take take them serious, folks. They nice. are, especially if you're in Australia. And I need to go find that comment from whoever left that and say, yeah, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So, um, Joey, how about you? Any, any? Um, I'm trying. I, I was trying to think about this all day. Um, Joey doesn't make mistakes. That's what I make. <laughs> that's what I was gonna. I wanted to say is that I, I make mistakes, you know, ten times a day, but not. I I can't think of one that I've made, which is so bad that 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 project has to be scrapped. That. The only thing I the only thing I can think of is if I made a mistake on the first step of a project, then that's liable to for me to say right that's it throwing it in the bin and walking away from it unless yeah. it's a client job, obviously. But once you're ten steps into something and you make a mistake, you just have to find a way to fix it. Uh, and if that means remilling up or buying a new piece of timber to try and match in, then that's what you have to do. But um, so on the extension table I just built, um, I went to put a final coat of finish on and something went a bit haywire and it just didn't didn't feel smooth enough. And I thought, okay, 
I need to I'll rub it down and put another coat on. And I'd mm. I wanted to use like a thousand grit uh, sandpaper just to take the little dust nubs off off the finish. And I'd run out of uh, run out of thousand grit. So I went to my neighbor who's a panel beater and asked for some sandpaper. He gave me some wet dry stuff. So I thought, oh sweet, I'll just I'll rub it down wet. And usually when I've done that, it makes a, a really nice finish. Well, in this case, rubbing the water onto that um, finish, it raised the grain on the oak really badly suddenly, which I was hmm. really surprised on. Um, it was an oil-based poly. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it was an oil-based poly. Yeah, that's what I was really surprised. And so I ended up, what did I do? I ended up having to sand it back again and pretty much start from scratch on mm. the top. You know, I I did probably a coat less than I usually would. So that table ended up getting like seven coats and and kind of half of them were sanded off again. Um, <laughs> that was just the top that right? It wasn't all the, all the parts. Yeah, yeah, only the top. Yeah, okay. only the very top. See, the mm. base went, I finished three coats, bam, finished, and it feels like glass. And I was like, oh, if the top's going to be that easy, that's going to be mint. Mm. But I uh, ended up, ended up being there like a Sunday night trying to get the last coat on Monday. uh, The delivery was like Monday morning and I'm like, holy crap, I've got like eight hours to get this thing. That's pretty tight Sunday night. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that was a recent kind of fail. Um, The other thing I'm working on since I've had this break of work, I've been working on my own desk for the house here. And I, I dreamed this idea up quite a while ago, and I talked to both of you guys about this you know, off air um, about a detail about edging. Um, if I, so I'm, what I'm going to be hard to explain this, but I'm essentially going to have a large box, two meters tall, that the doors are all mitered around the corners. Ah, oh, yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah. So there's no end square end panels showing. It's just a mitered box and it opens up to be the desk. Mm. Um, Well, I started cutting all these pieces. I've got the main body of it made and I bought special hinges and special down flap stays for the desk lid that's going to flap down, become my desk. Um, And because it's mitered on the outside edges, it's, there's no way this thing is just going to pivot down on a hinge. Like, it's, I don't know if it even makes sense when you're just thinking about it, but when you actually get a piece of wood with a mitre on it and try and pivot it down, the the little corners on the mitres bind really badly on the um, on the other mitres, mitres, the vertical mitres, and it just does not work. So I spent like 60 bucks on hardware that had to go straight in the bin. Um, Surely they'd and, make a special hinge for that, though. It would need to be a special. Well, obviously, you would have seen that. Because I'm thinking of, <laughs> you know, you know the in kitchen units where you've got the corner, um, the corner door, and you've got that sort of yeah. wraparound hinge. Would that? Would um, that be sort yeah, of where you're going is, with it? Well, the problem is that generally with the desk, you want the desk to end up flush with the shelf that's inside the desk unit. 
Mm-hmm. And with the rig, with the kitchen hinge that is, say, 155 degree kitchen hinge is going to end up either being way lower or higher than the disc. They're not uh, designed to end yeah. up being flush. Yeah, okay. Um, but that is essentially what you need, a lift out and away and then mm-hmm. pivot. Um, so what I – so the – one of the bigger problems is I've gone and drilled all these big bloody holes in my panels to hold these special hinges, which take like a 26 mil hole. So that's all filled with black bog, which is awesome looking, but I can't do anything about it. Now. <laughs> so these these, aren't, these weren't test pieces. These were the, the wood. I did. Yeah. I did a whole lot of test pieces, but I didn't have a miter on my test piece. I was just testing uh, where the stain had to be and where, how the hinge worked. And then I was like, sweet, this is all going to work. Put it onto the actual piece and did all the drillings and everything. All the holes are drilled. And I, was, I went to fit it. It's on camera, so you'll see me go, oh, shit, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, okay, so you're, you're so, filming this one as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I thought this might have been Because it's really, yeah. it's going to be a, it's more like um, a brainstorm in video format like i'm just going for it like I'm, yeah. i've got a drawing of this but i'm really just making it up on the fly and and that is part of the problem even though i've thought about it a lot mm. um there's some little details that just aren't happening so what i've ended up doing is i had because i wanted to make a lot of this with the pieces i had in the workshop just mm. whatever i had as much as i could lying around so I've ended up using some Blum lift up stays and turned them upside down and put them in the wrong corners and that actually works well for a drop down and it does exactly what I need to. It pushes the door out away from the mitered corners and mm. brings me flush. Um, it leaves a 20 mil gap between the two, the desk and the shelf unit. So mm. I'll lose pens down there all the time, but whatever. <laughs> um, and and so then there was a whole new issue about making it actually stay. The stays I'd bought weren't going to work because of the pivot positions and all sorts of bloody technical stuff. It just wasn't going to work. So I've still got some problems to uh, work out with how it's actually going to work because mm. at, at the moment it, it flaps down, but it doesn't stay there. If I let go, it's just going to rip off. So, um, Yeah still in the process of working out this failure <laughs> i'm super excited to see this video now yeah because so, i think um, a lot of your videos uh joey they are always like on point this is what i'm doing i did this mistake but because i'm you know i've been doing this for so many years i totally got over it so it's going to be interesting to see you actually trying to work things out <laughs> as you go yeah I've been trying to keep the camera on as much as I can during just, I've just had the camera running while I'm just standing there, like swearing at this thing. So, um, <laughs> Shop words. <laughs> yeah. So the other, and to carry on with more failure for the same thing. Um, I, you may have seen on my Instagram, I bought these awesome curly walnut veneers, mm. which I was meant to veneer my dining table with when it was like, mark two like way original version this is that, um, round, that round table you did the video for on youtube yeah. I, I had no intention of veneering that design i had several other designs which were going to be veneered with this walnut um 
So I've had it sitting there. So what I'm going to do is veneer the whole face of my desk. So when you're sitting in my lounge, you just see this awesome, crazy walnut burl. It's going to look awesome. Um, so I cut it and fixed it together with tape. I pre- then, so today I pressed it onto the sheets of plywood, which will be the doors of my desk. And as per usual, after two hours, I took it out of the press. And within five minutes of taking these pieces out of the press, we've got these crazy big ripples in the veneer. And I think the problem is, I don't think I put too much glue on. There is a fine line between too much glue and not enough glue when it comes to veneering. Yeah. Oh, um, I just assumed you just do it like you're doing solid timber because it's such yeah, a thick veneer. The veneer is only... 0.5 thick or something. Oh, um, sorry. I thought it was. I thought it was a, a, a sort of. What do you get? You get it up to like two, three, maybe five mil veneer. I thought it was a solid one. If you're lucky, you can't find that anymore. <laughs> That's usually shop-made veneer. <laughs> where you be shop yeah. veneer. Yeah. Right. Okay. What what glue yeah. were you using? Was it just? PVA? I just used a cold press PVA. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I've used it, yeah, heaps before. Sometimes you do get. Um, bleed through where the glue pushes right through the veneers Um, ideally you don't want that because you end up with glue on the face of your panel but usually it's in small spots and you can kind of work with it I obviously did end up putting thinking about it now I obviously did put too much glue on because I had a lot of squeeze through uh, on this veneer and I think after the two hours in the press it just wasn't enough and so taking out of the press allowed the the moisture in the glue to expand the veneer and it's kind of bubbled off the panels. So I'm crossing my fingers that as it dries out, it's going to flatten out. It was seeming to do that as I left the workshop this afternoon. Hmm. So um, I'm hoping I'll go to the workshop tomorrow and they're going to be flat. If they're not, you know, that's like $700 worth of veneer. I was going to so, ask, is there a is there a plan B or like if it's not, not flat, not it's really. game over. Um, I mean, if it was a client's job, I, I would scrap it, but it I called? could probably live with a couple of ripples. What's that? Macrame or something where you, no, what's it called? Where you uh, do little cuts out of, of veneer. Uh, and, um, it's not macrame, that's something. Marketry. Marketry, that's the word I was looking for. Do some marketry. <laughs> what's macrame? I have no idea. I think it's a selling term. I don't know. Macrame is like when you like um, weave kind of string into like plant holders and stuff. Yeah. That would be very interesting. What well, a bit of a waste of a veneer, but very interesting. <laughs> well, close to the right term. Come on. Anyway, so I'm in the middle of failing big time on my uh, desk. Cool. I mean, not cool. I mean, it sucks. For you. <laughs> it's a good story. Um, cool. I mean, I, I guess I've got a finishing failure too, which came on a very large slab table which was i don't know some people would consider it about a ten thousand dollar slab even though it's not worth that much but some people think they are where i used that envirotex epoxy for the first time so that's like a it's a finish where you pour it on and then it's self-leveling and it degasses and you go over it with a blowtorch and it gets rid of the mm. bubbles and it's a high gloss finish so 
So the first time I was using it, I didn't do a sample piece because I thought, oh, I'm good enough. I don't need to <laughs> test this. For, <laughs> what is it, like $200 for, for the yeah. bottle, which was just enough to finish that slab. And the thing is, my first time doing it was perfect. It came out really nicely, but it's high gloss and I didn't want the high gloss finish. So what I ended up doing was I sanded it lightly with, I think it was like 400 grit maybe, and just to scruff up the surface. And then everything I read had told me that my Sherwin-Williams lacquer would be able to go straight over the top of it and it wouldn't have any bonding issues and, you know, it'll be sweet. You just spray it like usual, let it dry, and you've got your matte finish. Um, And I should say the reason why I did the pour-over epoxy was there was a slight dip in the slab right in the middle of the table where the the saw blade had kind of deflected and I didn't want to lose it. That's why I went down this route. Um, so I did that and I sprayed it and then I started seeing these little bubbles come up or, you know, like when you get that orange peely effect or if you're spray painting a car and you have a bit of grease and the oil, uh, and the oil comes through the paint layer, Mm. kind of looked like that. Um, so I thought, oh, no worries. I'll just sand that little bit over and then I'll do another coat of lacquer. Well, when I sanded that bit that small section, which was probably about a 10, 10 cent coin size, was now about <laughs> small dinner plate. So I thought, <sighs> nothing of cured, right? So I waited a few days and I sanded it back and I did the same thing. And then that section was gone, which was great. But then on the other end of the table, there was a bigger section of the same issue. Jeez. So I'll chase myself back and forth. And then whatever led to it, I checked it and I realized that the epoxy in that sections where it was bubbling was really soft, whereas the rest of the tabletop was really hard. So I thought must be a mixing issue. Um, and, you know, this is going to be an $8,000 table when it's all said and done. So I didn't care if I had to spend another $200 on epoxy to get it done yeah. right because this time nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> I know what I did wrong. I didn't mix it properly. I, I mixed it in too big a sample. So I stripped it off, which took about a day and a half because the slab is 1.2 meters wide. So it's wider than my belt sander. So I had to do it all on the um, stroke sander and arm sander. So I stripped that off. I did the pour again. And this time I thought, I'm not going to let the mixing of this crap get in my way. So I put the stir stick on the drill for paint and I mixed it up really well. And like, yeah. I thought this is great because all these bubbles yeah, were like flying around me oh. all this epoxy. Um, and, you know, I put that on the slab and it all went on really well. I blow torched it. Heaps of air came out of it. It was looking really nice. Uh, and then like the next day when I came back to check how it all cured, there was millions and millions of micro bubbles throughout the entire yeah. finish because it was obviously over mixed. Um, <laughs> so when you say over mixed, is that because the, it was agitated through the spinning? Yeah. So right, the okay. finish itself is self gassing. So it's meant to get rid of its own air bubbles. Mm. Um, but it does specifically say in the instructions to stir. 
with a with a flat mm, blade, yeah. not yeah, to no. chop it up. So once again, it was my mess up. So I had to strip that one off, and then third time was the charm, and it went on really well. Um, the third time, but I did still lacquer spray because I wanted that matte finish, like I said, and I had the same issue again where it had that little yes. bit of orange peeling. So I just decided to say stuff it. I, I stripped the lacquer off it. I put on a buffing wheel on my sander, on my, my uh, car buff style thing, and I just yeah. buffed the entire surface. So something that should have been, you know, two days work turned into about a fortnight by the time it was all said and done. Um, and, yeah, if I ever want a matte finish over Envirotex light again, I'm just not going to do it because it, it's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah that stuff is, is not particularly, no, is it? No. So, I mean, that, that's probably my biggest failure when it comes to finishing a piece. Um, and I've had other... I did a... Sorry? Sorry, I was going to say I did a bar with that exact same product and actually ended up using my neighbor's, um, the panel beater's um, spray booth over the weekend so I could have a dust-free environment and could mm. have a perfect setup. And even then, just did not, I had a few air bubbles I couldn't get rid of. And um, I've since learned a couple of tricks about how to do it, but I, I'm still very reluctant to, to do pour-on finishes. Yeah, I think the only way I'd probably do it again is if I got it in a vacuum chamber before I poured it. Yeah, so it was guaranteed mm. that there was no air introduced to the mix, and then it's only the wood degassing. That was so what? Yeah, that is the problem. Is that, that you actually get um, oxygen coming out of the timber up through the epoxy? Yeah, and right. so I didn't know that. What Envirotex? Yeah, Envirotex Light actually recommend you put a very thin layer on first, and to essentially seal the timber, and yeah. then you can sand that. And then do your heavy coat on top of that, and you should get no gas coming up through the timber. Um, and that's so that's when you get that a pretty glass. good lesson. Yeah, yeah, and I did read that prior to doing this as well, which probably would have helped. But oh well. Yeah, I did the first <laughs> time as well, and I was like, yeah, I don't need to do that, but you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, now would would that uh, that that gassing coming out of the timber, would that, would that affect all finishes? The reason I ask is because a lot of the, the timber slabs that I've dried myself, which I'm never really sure if they're properly dried before I start using them. The first coat I've on so many occasions stuffed it up. Like the, the first coat of poly just, it's just always slightly tacky. It's a screw up. I wait a couple of days, get some terps, wipe that off. And then the next coat's perfect. So it's almost like that mm. first coat is then sealed that. Would, would that well, be the same I, type of thing? In that uh, situation, I would say that the um, if you're using full strength out of the can, polyurethane is probably the, the issue. No, and, this is wipe-on wipe on stuff, so it's thinned out. R yeah, I mean, I would probably thin that even more for, 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 for a sealing coat. Um, because you really just want thinners in there and a very small amount of, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, uh, I can't remember. Hard, hardness, uh, something like that. Um, Resin? Solids, that's what they call it. Ah. Solids in the, which is the part you actually feel and touch. Um, you know, you just want a small amount of that for the ceiling um, and then you're just building up on, on that. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it could be 
moisture not being able to evaporate through if they're not quite dry enough. I would also think maybe it's going on a little bit too thick, if that's the case, for a first coat. Like, yeah, if you're going on really, really thin, then it shouldn't really be trapping any moisture in or any air in. It should yeah. just kind of flash off relatively quickly. But it's hard to say without actually seeing it in the yeah, flesh. Yeah, because in all the subsequent coats, you put it it's, on it's in a couple fine. of hours, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. First coat, like, will take two. And I would just always assume there was the humidity here. But now listening to what you guys are saying, maybe it's something else. Hmm. Yeah, hard, it's hard to gauge. So you got there in the end, though, with the slab. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't stoked with the result, but it was good enough. And, mm. you know, like it looked fine. It was just, to me, I knew there was a few little bits and little few details in it, which I could see because I, I was the one that did it, but no one else would be able to pick up on. So it was good enough, um, but certainly not the best. Yeah. But, yeah. So, like that's probably my biggest failure to date as far as not being able to rectify it after the first mess up. Because I, I mess up on you know a very regular basis, like Joey said, probably 10 times a day. It's just the little things or it's failure to plan something out. So instead of you know doing something before, like what I'm working on right now, I should have cut mortises before I glued the leg assemblies together because mm. now it doesn't actually fit on my machine if i had have planned it out and figured out that oh this isn't going to work well what is now taking me basically a whole day to cut for uh, eight mortises is now taking it should have taken an hour but it took me an entire day so yeah. it's just that sort of stuff happens often but i can generally overcome it pretty quickly yeah i, I don't know i wouldn't con i wouldn't consider that a failure then because no, it's not a failure. Problem solving in the shop. Problem solving, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. it's just one of, one of the the oldest failures that I have, and, and calling this a failure, this can't be fixed without taking the entire thing apart and redoing it. One of the first woodworking projects I did, I think this it might have actually been the second thing I ever built. Uh, this was back in the day when I was getting all of my wood from pellets, so. You know, it was whatever you had was what you used. Yeah. And I made these two uh, bedside tables stained at the same color as my bed. They were, they were pretty rustic, um, but, you know, there was some decent joinery in there. And it just so happened that one of the pallets that I got had a few strips of some kind of hardwood. Now, I'm not sure what it was, but it was some kind of hardwood. The top, though, the – oh, sorry, the rest of it was all pine. So I used these – hardwood strips for the shelf and then the top i used the the junky pine and over the years um and it took years and and i point this out because back in those days when people talked about wood movements i thought it's not it's not coming can't be that big of a deal over the years this top the the tops of both of these the the timbers shrunk and you've just got these hairline cracks all the way through right. the top surfaces where it shrunk. Mm. But what's interesting is the better timber on the shelf still looks beautiful. Like, like mm. it's just been finished. And it's, it's one of those, like, as I say, total failure. I need to take the whole thing apart. It's, you know, it's junk now because it's, it's split. There's nothing I can do about it, but it's amazing how I look at that. And I'm like, that's why people use hardwood. Um, 
over pine because that hardwood stayed together amazingly, whereas the pine has just shrunk and split and, you know, shown its age. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Anything else? There's, I mean, there's so many things I could say, but they're little and I don't. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I have a, um, a box I'm meant to be making. It's sitting in a pile with all its parts at the moment. And it's been like that for, well, six months. Um, and so if you remember, I made the cube box quite a while ago. I gave it away. It was like a, a veneered little trinket box thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my plan was to make like a, some kind of fancy box once a year and give it away through my YouTube channel. Um, so I had this big smart plan to do a, like a jewelry box. So when you open the lid, the drawer at the bottom comes out at the same time. And when you shut the lid, the drawer retracts back into the, the unit. So you just have one lock for the, the lid and that locks the drawer as well. Um, and I came up with a mechanism to make it work and it works. But it works kind of shit. <laughs> and, um, and that is at the moment sitting on the fence, whether or not it's going to be a failure. It, it's just hasn't, I haven't come up with a solution yet. So it's still just in progress. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not giving it any brain power. So it possibly is a failure, but. Um, <laughs> or is it just a throwing in the towel? Yeah, it could be. Like, I, I, the problem is, I spent so much time. I've got a full scale prototype, and then uh, the real deal. And I've already veneered the inside of the box because I had to do that before I assembled it. Yeah. And I've got all these nice veneers to veneer it with. I just can't get the mechanism to work properly, and uh, so I'm just kind of like, one day a solution will appear. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much the show then. Um, any other disasters that you guys have? Apparently, there's one going on outside because my neighbors are yelling crazy. Oh, awesome. They keep distracting me. I think they've got a sea container they're loading because they're moving. So, <laughs> all I keep hearing is this pommy accent yelling out. So, sorry. <laughs> I had a, we had a um, question from Dirk during the show. Um, do you guys use the Craig Euro hinge jig? Now, is that the one for the nope. the Euro hinges, the thirty five mil? Never heard of it, so I couldn't. Obviously, I mean, I that don't is use what hinges. But I don't know. I mean, so we're going on a very quick tangent. Is that all? Euro, okay, quote unquote Euro hinges are not made equal, so. They are all. They have all different specifications based on the manufacturer. So, all oh, right. Um, I thought it was a, a standard standard shape and, and design and, and fits and everything. Well, almost almost all of them have a thirty five millimeter hole, mm. but it's that back set from the edge and the spacing of the drill holes for the screws or whatever type of fixings that kind of hinge has. Yeah, they're different, and so are the fixings and positions of the mounting brackets depending on brand oh, and what you're trying to do with it. So having one jig to rule them all does not work. You need one jig per brand, ideally, to rule them all. So that's yeah. why I, my, my advice has always been pick a brand, buy the jig from that brand because 
every hinge manufacturer has their own jigs and stick with it and then get to know those hinges really well and then you'll be excellent at doing you know using them so assuming then that i'm assuming what dirk is saying then is the craig euro hinge jig what you're saying joey is that craig would have euro style hinges for that jig well they should i don't think craig do i think craig are just trying to sell a little piece of plastic yeah because i i've seen i've seen you use the the euro hinges in the past in your videos but i don't think i've ever seen you use one of those or do you use them that sort of um that like plate that slides on and it's got the the mounting holes for everything yeah uh, only i have a i have a jig from blum for blum hinges I have a supplier for Salise hinges, and they are almost identical, so I can use the same jig. But you do use a jig, though. You don't just measure the... No, because it's like I could just have a jig and go drill done, or I'm not going to measure every little hole. So yeah, yeah. I, I use them so rarely that generally I'll make my own little jig. Like I'll take right. the measurements and I'll transfer it and I'll make a little MDF template, and then I can just... Right use that because i'll install what like 10 hinges in in a year so i'll right. that style of hinge in a year so i very rarely use them right. but now that i have a laser i could probably just cut my acrylic templates yep that would yeah, be the way to do it yeah we can have a periodic furniture studio euro hinge jig yeah so it's a mouthful you're going to need to make sure the box is big to get all that on <laughs> 79.95 cool Bye. All right. Um, well, that's pretty much the show then, everyone. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to everyone who's still listening in the chat, the 15 of you who are still in there. Uh, just a reminder that we are going to be down in Brisbane on May the 5th, and we're going to be doing a meetup. There are Facebook details, which I will have in the video description uh, shortly to the event. We'd love to see you all there, as many of you as possible. So if you're in the Brisbane area, come say hi. Um, we will also be doing a talk at the Malini Marlini Wood Expo on that Saturday, the 5th of May. So if you are going to the expo, 12.30, we'll be in the main stage doing a talk. It would be great to see some familiar faces in the, in the tent. But yeah. other than that, that's pretty much the show. Joey, Jordan, anything else you want to add before we head off? Uh, nothing from me. No, I'm good. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you very much to everyone in the chat, as always. Uh, we had a lot of good chat tonight. Jeez, you guys uh, went to town. So thanks for thanks for being part of it. And, um, yeah, we'll see you guys again same time Thursday next week. Gotcha. See ya.